Welcome to the Dementia Researcher podcast, brought to you by DementiaResearcher.nihr.ac.uk, a network for early career researchers. Hello, my name's Adam Smith, and today it's my turn to host this this podcast recording uh, for the NIHR Dementia Researcher website. Our podcast is just over a year old, so we're rather excited at the moment, as later this month, uh, or early next month, we expect to reach 10,000 players. Um, so we're currently working on a few ideas of, as to how we might celebrate this milestone. So I just wanted to say at the start of this podcast today to keep an eye on our website and our Twitter feed over the next couple of weeks uh, to find out more. Um, I should also add that all this has only been possible because of everybody out there listening. Um, so before I introduce our topic today, I just wanted to thank everybody for listening and all those that have contributed to the podcast over the last year. Uh, and as I said, watch our Twitter feed in a couple of weeks and we'll hopefully have maybe a bit of a giveaway and a special recording with some some cool people who've got some advice for early career researchers. So thank you. Okay, back to the main topic. Um, so... Uh, I'm delighted today to be back at the University of Exeter. For those who remember, I was here a few months ago talking to some people who are living with dementia about what they wanted from research. So today I'm back in Exeter and I'm joined by a fantastic panel um, who are here to talk about data and how this is being used to push new frontiers in dementia research. Um, I should add that this is this is timed because uh, the panel are all here in Exeter this this few days to, to do a data-thon um, which is which is working on that data and how it's used in dementia. So let me introduce the panel. First of all, we have Professor Richard Everson, Sarah Baumeister, and Dr. Hadi Madaris. Uh, welcome, everybody. Thank you. Okay, so can we start by doing a little bit of a roundtable so you can all introduce yourselves and maybe tell us a little bit about your work? So maybe if you could go first, Richard. Yeah, hello. I'm a professor of machine learning in computer science at the university and we're a member of the Alan Turing Partnership, and so I'm the uh, university lead for that. Um, I'm here really today because I've been working with Professor David Llewellyn on uh, diagnosis and understanding the relationship with, between um, profiles of uh, different dementia subtypes. Sarah, let's introduce you. So, <clears throat> hi there. Um, I'm uh, Sarah Baumeister. I'm from the University of Oxford. I'm a senior researcher there. I'm also a cognitive neuropsychologist and a psychometric analyst. I'm also senior data manager for Dementia's Platform UK. I'm here um, for the Datathon as uh, Dementia's Platform UK are providing the infrastructure for the virtual desktop interface for the Datathon. So DPUK is a um, remote access platform. We are a data repository for over 47 population cohorts, which equates to over 3 million participant records. And that's, that's all run from Oxford? Yes, so the academic um, headquarters is in the University of um, Oxford and our infrastructure, our servers, are actually based at the University of Swansea. Oh, fantastic. Uh, Hadi? Um, hi, um, I'm Hadi Modares. I'm a data scientist at um, Cognitivity. So at Cognitivity, we've developed a uh, cognitive test for early detection of Alzheimer's and dementia. So as part of my role, I'm um, analysing the unique patterns that distinguish between different um, subgroups of patients, from healthy to those with mild cognitive impairment and those with um, 
dementia. And to do that, I'm using uh, machine learning models to differentiate between these groups. And I'm here at the Datafon as uh, one of the participants, analyzing the data and trying to get insights from it. Fantastic. And it is, tell me more, is cognitivity, is that a spin-off from a university or is this a commercial? It's a spin-off from Cambridge University. So we were spun out about um, five years ago um, from Cambridge, currently based in London. Oh, fantastic. Well, thank you very much and welcome to everybody. And thank you very much for taking time away from the Datathon to record that uh, this podcast with us today. Uh, I should also mention, of course, you, you mentioned before, Richard, um, there are two people who aren't on the podcast today um, who, who do deserve a mention, which is Professor Llewellyn uh, from here at the University of Exeter and John Gallagher, who runs uh, DPUK at Oxford with you, Sarah, as I know that they're driving some of this work by bringing machine learning uh, to bear on cohort data at a time when, obviously, uh, drug trials have, have, have failed and are being cancelled um, to try and, and bring these effective uh, treatments into trials. So um, we should obviously, of course, mention those. Um, and and are, they, are they both here at the Datathon as well? Or is it... David, I David's here, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's downstairs in the thick of it at the moment. All right. Um, okay, so as we mentioned, we're all here at the Datathon, so maybe we could start uh, by, if I come to you, Sarah, could you tell us a little bit more about the Datathon? I've heard of hackathons before. Is a Datathon a bit like a hackathon but with data? Yes, so basically uh, the idea of the Datathon is really to bring together um, a group of data scientists um, from various different uh, disciplinary backgrounds, not necessarily uh, from a dementia background, and to bring the data scientists together in one room where they can collaborate and come together and interrogate all these um, large data sets utilising the um, DPUK infrastructure and bring their methodologies. In this case, it is very much a machine learning approach and... um, come together and really bring solutions to a question which has been either um, proposed to them and um, see what arises over the three days. And um, really, it's a very exciting opportunity to bring um, these researchers in one room and um, to see what arises. So these all come through, are they from different disease areas as well? They're not all, say, dementia or data people? Do they, yeah, from... absolutely, absolutely. We've got mathematicians in the room, we've got data scientists in the room, we've got biologists in the room, dementia researchers in the room, absolutely. And the cohorts that, that DPUK brings together, they're not dementia cohorts, are they? That... No, absolutely. We've got um, birth cohorts, we've got uh, cardiovascular um, focus cohorts, we've got healthy population cohorts, we've got Parkinson's disease focus cohorts. And so although we're called Dementia's Platform UK, by no means are these all dementia-focused cohorts. Absolutely. So overall, so this is a three-day event, and is this the first time you've done this here in Exeter? Yes, so this is the first one of this year. And um, we're launching uh, this program of uh, five datathons in Exeter this year. We did hold one last year in October at the Turing Institute, which was almost like a pilot um, datathon, which was so successful. We decided to um, hold five this year, and this is the first one of five. So five this year. So work doesn't stop at the end of the three days, one assume. You bring people together, they're really focused, and then they forget about this and go back to their day jobs. And, uh, what, what is it you actually hope to achieve through these? 
Well, we're really hoping that um, by attracting uh, these uh, young data scientists, and we're really hoping that this pitch will go out to early career researchers specifically, that we'll be able to break the back of um, these analyses and encourage them to take these through perhaps to publication level. So we give them access, continuing on to perhaps three months after the datathon. We're setting up user groups to keep this collaboration going and to nurture these through to output and outcomes so by no means does does this stop at the end of three months so very much focused on let's see what we can get out of the data that's fantastic so you so everybody else brings the ideas and you bring the you bring the data and the the tools by which they can make use of it yeah absolutely and then nurture it forward out of the data son as well that's that's sounds interesting I mean is that what do you hope to achieve through this um, yeah, I really think the, uh, the, the potentially exciting thing is the new groups and the new collaborations that are going to be formed. You know, realistically, you wouldn't expect a crack dementia in three days in a datathon like we've what, got really? here. Well, you know, maybe the fourth would, would do, but we've only got three. So if only you worked late If tonight. only, yeah, yeah. Well, we will be working quite late tonight, but... Um, there, uh, I hope there's beer as well, then. Uh, <laughs> there was plenty of beer. And... Uh, uh, but the main, you know, the real thing that is happening is that there are people down there from all sorts of different diverse backgrounds with different skills, covering the whole range of, of uh, expertise around dementia, around machine learning, and bringing those people together, um, putting them in a room, making them work together, really. And they really are working hard. Uh, they were they were tired at the end of yesterday. Um, they're making friendships, they're making collaborations that I hope are going to persist, you know, not just for three months, but for three years past their PhDs. And it's really going to lead to new, new initiatives in dementia research, I hope. And I think that same principle about bringing people together, we've, we've recorded at least two or three podcasts over the last year. I remember a group from, from Yorkshire who did exactly the same thing, where they got people working in cardiovascular, somebody else who works in genetics, coming together because they realise that, that if we just stay in our little silos of looking at dementia here, we, that's not going to solve the problem because probably the chances are dementia is a much bigger issue that's affecting so many Absolutely. other uh, diseases and parts of the body bring together. So, so by organising this event, you kind of force those collaborations yeah. to start because organisationally, we don't, we, we don't work like that, do we? Conferences don't bring the right people together. If you don't go away and make those connections and, and force them, they just... They don't happen naturally. Yeah. And this is right at the beginning of the process, where your know, conferences, which you mentioned, there's a tendency to go to conferences and say, look, look at this fantastic stuff I've done and keep off my patch. You know, I've just done this and I'm going to do some more work and my next grant proposal is going to be in that area. So stay away because I'm doing it. But this is right at the other end. This is you've got the data and that's it. And uh, that means that people can start to get together around the data. It's been really interesting over the past day or so. I was surprised midday today, people were coming up with results. They've got graphs out of it already. And um, oh, really? I, I, you know, I was a bit of a skeptic, but I'm more of a convert now. Is it a two-way street as well? I mean, do, can the group come back and say, oh, if only we had this little piece of information that we, we might just be missing? And does it, I mean, data scientists, does it matter that data scientists aren't, um, you know, um, lab scientists. Does it matter that they 
you know, don't understand the ins and outs or the importance of microglia or think, you know. I mean, personally, I'm coming from an engineering background. My PhD was in nanoscience. Um, I've been learning about the domain of dementia whilst I've been at Cognitivity. Um, but I think what's great about this kind of event is that within the team that I'm working in, there are people with significant domain knowledge, but there are also people with fantastic technical skills that they've gained from their research in astrophysics, computer science, mathematics. And I think it's the combination of these different skill sets together as part of a team that can um, really yield like new insights and new ways of looking at the problem. And I think what's been great um, so far is that um, it hasn't been prescriptive at all in terms of pushing us to look at a certain angle. We've been given a lot of freedom to approach the problem in a new way, and I think that can lead to new ways of looking for solutions. Super. So I have a, a fixed question here that I, I hopefully we haven't already addressed it, which I'd, I'd got written down, which is uh, probably to you, Richard, which is how is longitudinal data creating this? How is this driving it? I mean, how, how is this driving this new frontier in dementia research? Yeah, well, I, I think that um, longitudinal data is important because if you, if you diagnose dementia only when people have got dementia, it's just too late. And so this large-scale longitudinal dementia gives us an opportunity to look at, at some of the factors which indicate that you... A person might be susceptible to dementia or getting dementia or and vice versa and that gives us the possibility of developing things to you know behaviors or possibly drugs or something like that to mitigate those effects and it needs to be large scale because these are very weak signals um, there seems to be that you know this effect that humans are very good at um, disguising compensating for their dementia uh, until perhaps it, you know, it's almost catastrophic and people go downhill very rapidly. And so that means that the, in the very early stages, it's likely to be a very weak signal because it's masked. And so large-scale longitudinal studies, which then need things like machine learning and large amounts of computation to tackle that, that large amount of data, I think they're important and they're likely to be a, you know, a really fruitful area of dementia research in the future. So can, can we do that with the data we've got now? I mean, because I, one assumes that to be able to teach a computer... No, you're not talking about teaching, yeah, you're talking about... Uh, yeah, sorry, my naivety on the understanding yeah, of machine learning. Okay, learn, but <laughs> for, well, for the community to, to, to kind of learn and look for those patterns that might result, does it need to at least to start with have a cohort that says these people went on to develop dementia? Is that in the cohort? Deck? What is the high value areas in the cohorts? Or are you, are you able the minute to say, look, these are the people to keep an eye on? Yes. Yeah, so, I mean, ideally, you, you would want a, a cohort that does have an endpoint of a dementia diagnosis, but there is no ideal cohort. Some of our best cohorts have a very, very rich lead-in data. So they have multiple waves of data. They have perhaps 12 collection points with rich um, biomedical data, rich clinical history, but yet their endpoint, their, their dementia diagnosis is perhaps a little bit sketchy. You're not quite sure how they diagnose dementia. It hasn't got a, uh, a clear classification. And then you have perhaps a, um, a, a different cohort 
cohort that has a very clear clinical diagnosis of dementia, a very clear scale, but the lead-in rich um, data is, is not so good. So sometimes this is not a very clear, um, a clear indication by just looking at the cohort and saying, well, this is an excellent cohort to look at for uh, longitudinal work. And sometimes it takes looking across multiple cohorts to um, work with these type of data sets. Absolutely. You can see why it's important to bring those together. But I mean, is, is there work aside from this going on to, to create that perfect longitudinal study, even though it won't really feed us what we want for another 40 years? Is that going on somewhere? <laughs> you don't know. <laughs> I think there are, yeah, there, there are proposals to develop that sort of thing. But what you've just said is 40 years. And we can't wait that long, can we? We can't. It's just too long. We've got to try and do the best with what, what we've got, bringing, as Sarah says, bringing these data sets together. And, and computers are smart enough to, to spot these, these patterns and trends and the things you're looking about and interpret the different cohorts. Um, yeah, so I mean, using machine learning techniques, um, using deep neural networks, all these different types of uh, modeling techniques, I think we are getting closer to the stage where we're able to accumulate these data sets that we have available and to use them to um, more accurately and objectively um, classify patients and be able to detect the signs of cognitive impairment sooner. I, I just I find it so I mean I, I find it really hard to get my head around how that is even possible I mean how can you start to spot that from this this cohort data can anybody answer that question put it into simple terms for me I mean maybe uh, a lot of our podcast listeners won't all work in this field I think if there's a way of trying to explain that that would be useful so you ha- you have some big spreadsheets no, not really. <laughs> You've got these data sets with this information in there. How do the computers, how, how do you tell a computer to kind of start to, to look, what to look for? Um, yeah, so from the way I look at it is, you can think of it as a, as a doctor that is seeing lots and lots of examples of, of cases and it's learning from them. And the doctor is kind of limited in the sense that they may only be able to see a certain number of incidents during their professional life, but you can train a machine learning model with thousands or tens of thousands of examples. And every time it sees an example, it's able to infer and learn from that and improve its way of classifying. So the bigger the data set that we have of of clean, good data that we trust, then the better the algorithm can become and the more it can learn, just as as if you had a doctor that was seeing tens of thousands of examples and, and learning from each one. That's, I mean, that's good. And there are very practical applications for that as well, aren't we? We've seen it in the work at Moorfields where they're using it to, to look at eye disease and training computers to do that. So are there, are there any, well, I've just given one there, I guess, but are there examples of where this, this technique and method of using this longitudinal data has been used before in other diseases in this same way? Or is this groundbreaking? Is this unique? Well, I think there are examples in, uh, as you say, the famous Moorfields eye example. Um, people are looking at, uh, have been very successful in image processing for skin lesions um, and detecting cancer like that, although not, not really longitudinal data in that sense. And I, I'm not aware of big longitudinal studies, um, but I'm a machine learner, so Sarah probably knows more about that. 
So, yeah, I mean, I think it, it is, it's new. I think that's, that, that is the bottom line. I mean, I think all three of us are sitting here thinking, we're actually thinking hard to give you good examples. And definitely in our field um, that we're looking at dementia research, this is new. And uh, this is, I think this is groundbreaking what we're trying to do. And I think it's really exciting. And I think what, also what we're doing is we're not trying to say, well, machine learning, this is it, this is our eureka moment. We're, we're now going to use machine learning. We have found the secret. We're going to use, use machine learning in, in conjunction with existing methodologies. So multi-level modeling or structural equation modeling, which is actually the field I use um, to analyze um, these large cohort data sets, we're going to use machine learning with this, these type of methodologies. So the features that we, um, we select with machine learning, we're going to use with these methodologies. So we're not suddenly saying, well, everyone put down your tools. We, we have found the moment. We're going to use these methodologies together. So we're strengthening it. So it's a multi-methodology approach. And I suppose it's what you're hoping then that will emerge is what are the, you know, back to those risk factors that we're also common and familiar with in talking about these risk factors is to be able to start to zero in on rather than some general risk factors, which we all know also cause cancer and heart disease and these other things, is to zero in on the very specific risk factors. So we know whether this is a, a lifestyle change that people would need to make or if it is something genetic or something different, the ultimate cause, using that data. Yes, much earlier in the disease, because by the time someone walks into the clinic and says, um, like Richard was saying, that says, oh, well, I feel that, you know, I, I feel I have a memory impairment or I feel that there's something going on here. And uh, sadly, they do get diagnosed with dementia or Alzheimer's. The disease has actually been um, present for 15 to 20 years before. So if we can use these um, predictor variables and detect this, the disease so much earlier and when treatments are developed um, and preventions are in place, we can come at it at a much earlier um, stage of the disease. And so Sarah, I know, Hadi, you touched on this earlier. So what do you think collaboration across disciplines brings to this? So I think, I think by collaborating across disciplines, what it brings is new ideas, fresh ideas. I think sometimes we, we tend to look at things with tired eyes you tend to think um, just within your own discipline, a little bit blinkered, but suddenly someone else comes along with a, with a mathematical head or a biology head on and they go, but what about this? And suddenly you go, oh, but I didn't think about that. And I think if we're all open to becoming a little bit more multidisciplinary, as long as we're open to that, then suddenly um, it, you know, we just start to look outside of the box. And I think that's what this is about. And that's what Downstairs is about. You've got people from all these different um, backgrounds and you can hear them around the table, as Richard was saying. And they're all saying, oh, I didn't know that happened. And, and it's fantastic to hear. So when they break up into the groups, is there like a machine learning person in every group who knows about, so? There is, but we didn't organize it like that. I mean, it's, it's very interesting the way that these groups have coalesced, I suppose, into groups which have got interests and a range of expertise. 
but and I, I think there's a tiny bit of rivalry between some of the groups. <laughs> yeah. But there's also so, is yeah, there a prize some, at the end of the day? Is uh, there? Well, on, no, only the, the moral prize of contributing <laughs> to the dementia. <laughs> but, yeah. but but the other thing is that they're not they're not. We don't put them in little closed rooms in their groups. They they walk over to the other groups. They talk to mm. each other as well. So they are in groups working on particular problems. But there's a, a lot of um, collaboration across the whole datathon, which is really um, is it's exciting and refreshing to see. Mm. Very yeah. fun. Yeah. No. I, yeah. Absolutely. And are there are there any risks to to you know applying machine learning in this way? Does it is it all risk free? Is it Perfect. Well, one thing I do want to say is it's it you know it, machine learning and AI they're not this magic dust that we can sprinkle over the problem and, and get the answer. You know, as as Sarah said, you know there are lots and lots of other techniques there, and and the machine learners like me we know you know damn all about dementia, <laughs> but. Um, and so something like this is really useful because there are people with a whole range of skills and knowledge. Um, so I think there are, yeah, there are risks of blind application. Um, does, does that mean, Sarah, as, as well, Sarah, because obviously you are very focused on dementia. Do you have to keep these people focused? You know, becoming somebody who's very interested in other things, you suddenly you spot in there, actually, there's something else really interesting here. Let's, and let's go off down this rabbit hole of something completely unrelated because it's interesting. Indeed, you do. You know, you, you, have to, you have to work together when you're working with machine learning. So you've got to have the theorists sitting there alongside the people who are excellent at machine learning and when they say well look these features have really popped out here and um, they look really significant and then the theorist comes along and says well actually are you sure that that isn't just noise or so you you do have to work together so in a way this is a methodology that naturally pulls different disciplines together um, Otherwise, you'll end up with uh, someone running along saying, oh, look what I've got, look what I've got. And actually, it's not making sense. Yeah. Uh, how, sorry, Caddy, you, did you have something to add? Yeah, I was just going to say that even from a like, regulatory perspective now, with the new um, GDPR regulations, um, we have to be able to explain why the model is coming up with the predictions that it is. So, for example, if somebody is um, denied a loan, for example, um, based on an algorithm, then we should be able to interrogate what was kind of the reasoning or what, how did the algorithm come to that decision. And with some of these models, it can be quite difficult to um, un interrogate them and to understand where they're coming from. But I think um, machine le learning uh, researchers are working on ways of essentially being able to extract from the models which features are being used and how it's coming to its decision. And that's something I think that we'll need to have. So that's, that, interestingly, that raises a question in my head because, of course, you're using this data, I assume, in an anonymized way. This is just this is just data. So having discovered something is there a way of of how do you make use of that how do you test your hypotheses can you go back to people do you reconsent them do you know whose data it is to go back and check things that you come up with or or do you just design another study then to test what you think you've discovered 
I'm looking around the table for anybody who can answer that question. Uh, one of, I think one of the ambitions that we have is that there are present large-scale studies. The data that we're looking at actually comes from the United States, memory clinics in the United States. Oh, okay. And so one of the ambitions that, that we have is that we'll be able to apply the sorts of models that we've got to um, UK data and probably also some other United States data. So that's where I think they'll find validation in that sense. And then, of course, you know, the machine learning technique itself is that you, you divide your data up and you, you hold a bit of it out as test data, and you, you just mustn't touch that until you've developed the entire model. Right. And at that point, you can try... Oh, that sounds robust. That and then, up. of course, you can bring in other cohorts as well and apply that and test in yeah. that way. And that, but the, the really acid test, as you say, is can you transfer it to another cohort? And that's, that's where lots of these techniques fall down. They work really well within the cohort that they were developed on, or one which is exactly statistically, signif- uh, statistically similar. But then as you collect the data in a slightly different way or... Uh, things were a little bit different, you measure slightly different variables or something like that, then whether you can transfer the method to that new cohort. Yeah, that's tricky, isn't it? And and I guess that was a question in here, that what are the limitations of longitudinal data? Um, is, Is then, of course, applying this, because by the nature of the cohorts you're collecting, they're all collecting different data in different ways. Absolutely. And that's a really, uh, you know, that is a hottish topic in machine learning at the moment. You know, it's not something that just occurs in dementia. Everybody's doing it. You know, they're working on one data set. But of course, what we want to be able to do is generalize from the the data we've got to um, another practical data set. Sorry, Sarah, did you have... Yes, and um, as Richard said, each data set, each longitudinal data set is so vastly different from another. And so if you've got one longitudinal data set that's collected over eight waves and one over six waves, each of those data sets, um, the distance between each longitudinal collection point is going to be different as well. One is collected at every 12 months, one is collected at every 18 months. And not only that, that, you've got to take into consideration attrition, people for, uh, dropping out of those waves, and also some cohorts uh, refresh their data. So you've got people um, collecting a- additional participants at uh, different longitudinal points. And um, so longitudinal data is uh, very complex. But I, I suppose, I feel like we've slightly taken a gloomy turn there, but to be, be really positive, I think what's fantastic about this is that this is the start of a journey, isn't it? Oh, oh These yes, data absolutely. Bonds, as we've alluded to, are uh, they're new, they're unique, they're groundbreaking, yeah. we're, we're at the start of this process, and I think what will what comes out of this and the, the work over the next few years, and it should, should emerge to, to deliver and achieve something. And I think if any country's best place to do this is definitely is the UK where we have this fantastic national health service and a single unique provider where all this data is collected <laughs> obviously getting access and making use of that can be challenging um, but but I think the UK must be very well placed in the world to deliver on this um, indeed um, so so just moving on because we're about half an hour now so um, what what are the next steps of this? I mean, is this likely to lead to some grant applications or are, are you still on the lookout for more cohorts to add to this? Can people bring their own data data to this? 
to the to DP UK for uh, sharing. <laughs> yes, indeed. So uh, uh, DP UK is um, ever growing. Um, so we, we're, we're not closed. We're not saying, well, we've got 47 cohorts, that's it, we're full. <laughs> so, um, and also, um, people are able to upload their own data. So if you um, submit a proposal to um, use uh, the data that's on the platform, so you can't download the data, so you, you put in a proposal and you can access the data on the platform. You can also upload your own data and analyze your own data set alongside the data sets of DPUK and then when you've finished your project you can remove your own data. Um, can so people choose to leave it in there as well to add can. to the greater to the Absolutely. Greater if, body of knowledge? If you have collected a cohort of your own, you've collected some clinical data and you've, uh, you want to keep it in a secure environment, you can upload it onto the DPUK data portal. Absolutely, yes. That's, that's really good because that, that is a question about is there any other opportunities out there for other early career researchers that are listening to this podcast to, to get involved in future? How might they get involved? Can can they host datathons locally? Can they come to the next apply to come to the next Exeter one, or is that are you full now? Yes. Oh, oh, we're going to have another four datathons actually this year. So the next one will be in September in Norwich, and then there'll be another three datathons this year. Actually, later in the year, another one in October, November, and December. And those you'll be able to register your interest on the DPUK website. We actually have a tab. And um, those will be held um, this year, so very much. So fantastic. Um, so really encourage all those early career researchers. I mean, obviously, about a third of our listeners are overseas. So, of course, you're welcome to come from overseas. Excuse to visit the, the UK in the in the autumn to, to yes. participate in one of these. And we um, have participants in Exeter from overseas. Oh, fantastic. Yeah, yeah. Where, yes. where, where, where have they come from? Uh, I said Canada, Canada, certainly. Yeah. Yep. So you've got participants. So, the, I mean, this is... Again, a fantastic opportunity, I think, to to come and participate in one of these future uh, datathons. So we'd encourage, I think, everybody to do. I think we're we're just about out of time now. So um, I'd like to thank our panelists, uh, Richard, Sarah, and Hadi. Um, I'll, I will let you get back to the session just before you you do. I know you're only about halfway through the workshop, and you talked before about some nice charts and things coming. Um, is there anything emerging already that's excited you in the last day and a half? Um, yeah. Nodding doesn't work. You've got to, you've got to, come on, Hadi. This is a podcast. <laughs> um, so our team is working on a temporal analysis. So by that we mean we're looking at the time it takes um, patients to go from healthy to mild cognitive impairment to dementia. So we're looking to see, can we predict that time from their baseline test? Is there a way that we can know how long it would take this patient to progress um, through the disease? Um, and can we you know, segment people into those who deteriorate rapidly and those who have a, a slower decline? So that's the main, been the main focus of our analysis. So that sounds far. interesting. Sarah, Richard, anything emerged for you yet? I'm going to punt on the technical aspects of it, but I think the really exciting thing that's coming out of this for me is the collaborations that I can just see going on in the room. And I think that's, you know, regardless of the technical bits that come out of this particular datathon, I think that's the most exciting and important part of it. And I think it sounds like it's, it's great that they'll, they'll continue to be nurtured and, and 
come together after today. Yes, agreed. I think they've, uh, many have already said, how can we carry on working together? And I think that's, that is a success. That's wonderful. And, and just for, for the listeners that have kind of really enthused and couldn't be here today, are there any roundups shared from, you know, will there be something out in the next week or two sharing what came out of this, these workshops these days? Yes, so we'll be writing something up and we'll definitely put a summary up on the DPUK website. Fantastic. So um, I, I should say we're recording this podcast on Thursday, the 2nd of May. Uh, it's going to be released on the 3rd of May. So by the time you're listening to this, this datathon will still be going on, but just coming to an end. So, so watch, I think, the DPUK website on Twitter, uh, uh, website and Twitter next week to, to find out more about the, uh, the outcomes. Um, I, I, this is usually where I say, and of course, we'd encourage all of our listeners to, to get in touch with you if they've, they've got any questions or anything that they want to discuss or raise or, or questions about how they might become involved and bring their own expertise. Um, uh, can you be accessed? You can be contacted via, via Twitter. I know, Sarah, you can. You're on Twitter. What's your Twitter name? S underscore Bauermeister. Uh, Hadi? I'm not on Twitter, unfortunately, but I'm happy to be contacted on email, hadi at cognitivity.com. Great. And, and Richard, can they contact you through the DPUK website or Exeter Med? Through uh, the Exeter website. Uh, any search with your favourite search engine will find me instantly. <laughs> fantastic and only your professional but yeah thank you very much okay well thank you very much again for our listeners for taking time to download our podcast uh, remember you can visit our website and look at profiles on all of our panelists and there will be details on how to contact them there we'd also encourage you to post questions and comments in the the comments section in itunes spotify and soundcloud and our website that go with this podcast um, so thank you very much again uh, we'd encourage everybody to share this using the hashtag ECR Dementia uh, and again finally please remember to subscribe through SoundCloud, iTunes, Spotify uh, share, post and review and watch our, our website and Twitter feeds over the next few weeks to see how we'll be celebrating 10,000 plays thank you very much this was a podcast brought to you by Dementia Researcher everything you need in one place register today at dementiaresearcher.nihr.ac.uk